0: Welcome to Bell Curve Podcast. I'm Rachel Briers, joined by Mary Scott Hunter and Liz Shears. and I wanted to launch today's show with a little game, ladies. I am going to give you a subject, and I want you to give me just the first few descriptive words that come to your minds, okay?
1: <laughs> Danger. Yeah, yeah. I know that
0: This can be a little bit tricky. All right. Number one is the DMV.
2: Slow. Painful. Frustratingly inefficient. And I have, a, I have a, a pretty recent DMV story, but we'll keep going.
0: <laughs> All right. People who drive Teslas.
2: Birkenstocks. I would say wealthy. Wealthy. <laughs> science. <laughs> Environmentalists.
0: All right. How about millennials? And I bet Kristen Scroggins, our generation guest, would have a, <laughs> oh, just a heyday with this one. But what about millennials? <laughs> what comes to your mind first?
2: entitled impatient
0: <laughs> mary scott with the zinger straight out of the gate
2: sorry All right. sorry All right. liz okay.
0: this one is dangerous well, um, rachel and i
2: are both we went over this rachel and i are both millennials. Uh, you, i know i know although I know.
0: hey i just read a recent article that called my age group geriatric millennials <laughs> i've never put those two together
2: You are totally a geriatric millennial. That's like
0: like the best description of you I've ever heard. (laughs) Barely there. I'm I'm like an elder millennial to uh, quote some comedians who use that term. All right, so this one is dangerous for me with you two, but how about Auburn fans? Orange. They think they're better than they are? (laughs) I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it, and there it was. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, here's the whole point of this. Today we're talking about the mental shortcuts that we take, most of them unconsciously, to make sense of and navigate and organize our worlds. These shortcuts can be useful to us in some ways. Um, If I see a snake in the path, well, it may just be a garter snake, but by the time I have registered whether it's venomous or not... My mind has already sent an alert, I've jumped 10 feet out of the way. But on the other hand, as we know, these mental shortcuts can be harmful if they lead to biases in hiring in the workplace and the court system, et cetera. We led off with some lighthearted joking examples, but there are serious examples and this is a serious topic. And so I am so thrilled to have a special guest joining us today, a sociologist, to unpack this and teach us Dr. Donnie Horner is here with us. Donnie, welcome to Bell Curve.
1: Hey, ladies, it's, uh, it's an honor to be here. Pleasure. I love the flavor and the dialogue already. So this, I mean, how, how many hours do we have?
0: <laughs> so before we dive in our interview with Donnie, quick reminder that our next book club book is Mary Scott's pick, Wonder Girl, The Magnificent Sporting Life of Babe Didrikson Zaharias. Babe was an Olympic gold medalist and one of the founders of the LPGA. She has an inspiring story, so read along with us and join us in June to discuss that. I want to give a shout out to one of our listeners who recently left us a review under the name Sincere Angel 1951, who wrote, I love the professionalism, knowledge, and sweetness that these women pour out. I found this podcast by a friend recommending it on Facebook, and I gave it a listen. I have now been listening for close to two years, and it just keeps getting better and better. Wow, that means so, so much to us. Thank you. We know we couldn't be doing what we do without all of you, our wonderful curvy community. So this show is airing near Memorial Day in 2021. Mary Scott, I know you have some words to say to honor our fallen heroes.
2: Yeah, whenever and wherever you're listening. You may not be listening near Memorial Day 2021. You may be listening sometime in the future, but it's always a good time to take a moment and remember our men and women in uniform. American service members have fought and many have died and paid the ultimate sacrifice to preserve our freedoms and our way of life. Today at Bell Curve, we just really want to remember them and say we're grateful.
0: Absolutely. And during Military Appreciation Month, We thank all our service members, as Mary Scott said, and veterans who've given so much for all of us. And our guest today, Dr. Donnie Horner, is a veteran. Donnie is a uniquely seasoned leader, consultant, advisor, and administrator with a lot of experience in the academic world, the private sector, and the military. His academic experiences range from instructor to department head to endowed chair to tenure professor all the way to provost. He graduated from the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, where he was an Army football QB. He holds multiple degrees an MS in Transportation from MIT, an MA and PhD in Sociology from Stanford. He's taught at a number of universities, including Stanford, West Point, Penn State, University of Maryland, U.S. Naval Academy, Jacksonville University, And more. And as a career army officer, he commanded a battalion during conflict in Bosnia, a CONUS battalion, and a company during conflict in Panama. So thank you for your service, Dr. Horner.
1: Now, Rachel, you read all that off, it makes it sound like I can't hold a job.
0: And and I got to keep going and say that Donnie has extensive experience consulting with Fortune 500 companies in the areas of organizational culture, organizational change, leadership, high-performing teams, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. He's worked just at all levels of government and the military, and he's Senior VP at Higher Echelon leading up the Human Capital Services Division. So I'm proud to work with Donnie and excited for all he has to share today. So Donnie, we really just want you to take it away and teach us about the different types of mental shortcuts that we alluded to in our intro, and just help us wrap our minds around what it all means and why this matters.
1: Well, my goodness. I don't know how I can live up to those high standards uh, to teach you all anything. You know, the topic is, um, it's not one that we're real comfortable talking about. And, uh, you know, particularly today, you know, with uh, the strife going on in the nation. And there are so many undiscussables today that, uh, that need to be discussed. And so you have to, you know, sort of tip your cap to, to, to the seriousness of some of this. But you know, the, what I'm going to say or what I have to say isn't, isn't at all meant to be uh, disrespectful to any of the dialogue or discussions that are going on. Um, I mean, just for starters, humans, you know, we, we get bombarded with trying to make sense of the world. Um, You know, I've got my, my 80 pound pit bull behind me. And um, of course, when I say pit bull, you think of? Fighting dogs.
2: I think of my doggy Molly, who's half pit bull.
1: Okay. And how about the negative stereotypes that come with a pit, with a pit bull?
0: Dangerous. Yeah. Aggressive. Yeah, you get it.
1: And, and, you know, um, I had every one of those cognitions, thoughts, before my wife convinced me 10 years ago to get the first of our two uh, rescue dogs. And I'm thinking, you know, here's a retired Army colonel, been there, done that, led a battalion, led a a company. And I'm thinking, man, I don't know that I want a pit bull. Um, I've read so much. I've heard so much. So I had all these preconceived notions on what a pit bull was. But as in most things, um, I was convinced to let's go give this a try. And, you know, it's their eyebrow raisers. They're the sweetest dogs and, uh, they're so loving and caring. And then, then you start to read about them and you, you learn that, you know, Helen Keller had a pit bull and Teddy Roosevelt had a pit bull and they were called nanny dogs and, they love kids. And, and so you have to diffuse all of those, in my case, those implicit biases, those stereotypes. And I got to tell you, none of them apply to the two pities that I've had. Now, that's not to say that you can't train an animal to do bad things. That's not it. But um, the way I organized the data uh, was, I was overly simplistic. I, I had, heard stories, uh, recently about bad things pit bulls did. Um, and so that recency effect infected my thinking. So, and I just implicitly said, okay, pit bull equals bad. Um, or if, um, let's say I had a bad experience with a pit bull and, uh, I took that experience to be representative of all experiences with pit bulls. Um, I mean, we were joking about Auburn fans earlier. You might be an Alabama fan and you have that one interaction with a negative Auburn fan. You go, see, I told you all those Auburn fans. I mean, you know, that one experience becomes representative of the whole group and real simplistic way to organize things, you know, in terms of representative or if it's happened recently, the recency effect. And so, um, these biases tend not to be accurate. Biases all start with how we organize our thoughts. I should stop there, Rachel.
2: You know, I love that you were talking about oversimplification and I'm thinking back to my political days and campaigns are the ultimate in both complexity and simplicity. Messages have to be so simple, so digestible and they just almost become meaningless, I find. And you don't know a candidate because they don't, you know, the, all that's presented is this very simple, very digestible person, you know, who who has a few opinions that they share, but it's not, you know, a campaign, I guess, you want to basically make an impression right away. And so you, you play to those biases,
1: I think. Yeah, you know, there's um... – to your point, um, Mary Scott, there's there's so little room for nuance in in campaigns, and uh, and I had I, I had again the great privilege in another life. I, I was the uh, education commissioner for the city of Jacksonville, Florida. I worked for Alvin Brown. Alvin Alvin was a first uh, African American mayor of um, city of Jacksonville, and uh, Alvin used to work for me when I was uh, running a leadership. Uh, center at the Jacksonville university. And when he won, um, he said, Hey, Donnie, I want you to be the education commissioner. I said, dear God in heaven, what's that? He said, don't worry, you'll figure it out. Um, what I figured out was that, uh, because everybody went to school, everybody thought they knew education. What I also learned was no matter what party you were affiliated with, if you know, here's Horner, uh, you know, registered as an independent, working for a democratic mayor, they immediately think, oh, man, you're just a liberal lefty. You think this, you think that. Again, you walk in the door and they already have those notions. And, uh, with simplistic heuristics, heuristics are the way we organize data. sort of a a rule of thumb, the way we approach things, whether it's recency, um, or whether it's representativeness or whether it's a host of the others, Uh, we, it's it's just a way that we try to simplify the world, often not correctly. I have to believe that this
2: can be extremely damaging if we don't recognize it and we don't check ourselves.
1: Yeah, it's you know we've done a lot of work uh, lately with um, with trying to uh, defuse uh, the way we do performance evaluations. And why why is that? So let's let's talk glass ceilings uh, with, with women. Um, we know that in general, we tend to like people that are like us, similarities attract. And so, you, you know, you don't wake up in the morning, brush your teeth, comb your hair, look in the mirror and say, you know, Smith, I really, I, I just can't stand Smith. I really don't like Smith. She's just not my cup of tea, but I'm going to go hang with her today. I really want to learn more about, her. I want to, I, I want to embrace the Smith. Um, that's not how we work. You know, we tend to like people that complement us in some way or that reflect us in some way, and um, and so similarities attract. And so, you know, in the case of glass ceilings, you know, typically associated with women, you can even associate with any underrepresented group. You know, no matter the uh, the profession or, or no matter the field, similarities attract. We tend to rate people. Uh, in in terms of their performance, will give somebody who's like us uh, the benefit of the doubt. So if you've got nothing but white males sitting at the top of the food chain organizationally, and you have people percolating up, we know that company men or company women tend to get promoted, and they tend to look like the uh, the CEO. And so you're at a disproportionate disadvantage right from the get-go. If you happen to be different from what the CEO is and so to take the you know, to take the glass ceiling a little further you know uh, women professionals would percolate to some point uh, in the organization they'd look up they'd see this glass ceiling because there's no one that looked like them there and so we've done a lot of work on performance assessments trying to make folks that are doing assessments aware of their biases and we're not we're not trying to force quotas that's not what we're advocating. Mm-hmm. Saying, geez, you know, you haven't promoted enough of these or enough of those, but by, by being confronted with data um, and data analytics that say, you know, if you're a, let's say a white male and um, you've been rating folks, you've been in a position for 10 years, it might be really useful to you to take a look at over the last 10 years do you rate white males any differently than you rate white females or what about uh, black men or what about black women? Or if you're a geographically dispersed company, which is the world today, um, if I'm sitting in Chicago, do I rate people differently in San Diego than I do here at the mothership in Chicago? So that's, there's a whole lot of data that's, that suggests we don't rate people what I'll call appropriately as it uh, appropriateness as in uh, strictly based on performance. There's a whole lot of other biases.
0: Well, I think too, is I was just reading psychology today magazine. They were talking about, there's not just internal biases, but there's all this noise that can surround, let's just say a judge who they're, they're looking at a case at 2 PM on a Friday and their mood at that moment is not scientifically transferable to another judge at a different time of the day with a different set of cognitive biases or sets of internal moods. And so it's not replicable. Somebody might get a totally different sentence than what somebody else gives. And I think, so I think it's kind of this complicated mix of our in, internal biases and then the outside noise of, I had a bad lunch that day and now I've made a decision that affects somebody.
1: Yeah, I mean, it really, it it sort of matters the day that you buy your car, right? It matters matters which day the car was manufactured. We we know that. We know you don't want a Monday car. Uh, We know you don't want a Friday car. You know, Monday car, everybody's hung over from the weekend. They're tired. They really don't want to be at work. Um, If you happen to have a car that was uh, constructed on a Monday, that's not a good thing. Friday, everybody's looking ahead. Everybody's got, you know, one foot out the door. Uh, You got folks on paid time off. Uh, So Friday's not a good day. Tuesday's better than Monday, but it's not as good as Wednesday and uh, and so without even you know contemplating you just walk in and buy a car. It's, it's sort of the same thing in, in the scenario you brought up Rachel with uh, uh, with a judicial system. Uh, you, you don't want to be the last case of the day. You just don't because you don't know what came before it. And um, I'm not sure you want to be the first case Monday morning. So it does matter, you know, time and place and situation and circumstance, uh, you know, when you get heard because the outcome's going to matter. Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, um, they say, you know, Donnie, you know, race, gender, ethnicity and and what's this ethnocentrism thing? What's this ethnocentricity thing and why does it matter? And it's um, it goes along all of this, the way we oversimplify things and, and what's our reference point? to me, you know, ethnocentricity is your reference point. It's about, it's sort of where you came from and where you're anchored. And, and now in my case, you know, I came from a little, poor little steel town in Pennsylvania. Um, and if you ever watched the movie, Rachel me say this, uh, the, the movie Deer Hunter, that was my town. So, I mean, that's, that town leaves a mark. Um, you know, I mean, I have shoveled coal into an open hearth and, you know, I had relatives that worked all day for 30 years, and I saw that parade down the hill into the Bethlehem Steel Mill and the parade up the hill and worn out, and um, I understand, I mean, I understand why there were so many uh, bars and establishments that served refreshments, uh, because those people wanted to get away from the ugly, awful work that they did. Well, that's an anchoring point for me. It's an anchoring point for me because people will say, you know, Donnie, how was your day? I just had a hard day. I'm working so hard. And I'm thinking to myself in the back of my head, well, how hard can you be working if you haven't shoveled coal into a, another, You know? <laughs> and so, you know, that's sort of the baggage that goes with it. And, um, or, or somebody who's been in combat, some, you know, you can hear folks say, how's your day going? Oh, well, nobody's shooting at me. Well, if that's the point at which you're making a comparison, today's probably a pretty good day because most of us have shut it so it all matters
0: well donnie you i've heard you discuss a number of cognitive effects you you just mentioned anchoring because i think a lot of this as you've said is it's unconscious if someone were to ask you are you biased you might think of that question within one category and say, No, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not at all. But then you don't maybe realize because we're just not aware. So can you teach us a little bit more about you've have brought up before a propinquity effect? What I mean, what is there's a number I can't say it. There you go. Yeah.
1: Propinquity.
0: <laughs> propinquity. explain to us a few of these other ones that that can affect yeah. us whether we're conscious of them or not.
1: Yeah, well, I gotta give a tip of the cap to my teacher. Linda Genzel was uh one of my Stanford professors who turned me on to attribution theory and attribution biases. Uh she's a she's a Princeton gal. She was trained by all those folks. She's Linda is now a, a uh, I mean, she's a preeminent scholar. She's at the University of Chicago at the Booth School of Business and just a just a gem. Um and and so she opened up a whole new world to me. I was taking a course on attribution theory with her, and I think. Holy cow, I had no idea about any of this stuff. So uh, Linda Ginzel, G-I-N-Z-E-L, she's just, uh, she's as delightful as she is smart. And uh, so with all of that, you know, tip of the cap to her, um, let's probably start with with the most basic error that we make. In other words, the way we organize information in our head is flawed. It's just flawed. We try to oversimplify our world. Mm-hmm. It's too complex for us to to digest it all. So we, you know, the way we organize it isn't right, and the way we access it isn't right. And so the way we manifest that incorrect accessing of data through biases is is, is really, it's unconscious to us. We don't even think about it. And so I'll give you an example. Um, the, the first one is the fundamental attribution error fundamental attribution error. And it's the basic notion that in general, we as human beings give far, far too much power and attribute way too much explanatory power to the situation instead of ourselves. So in other words, um, you know, you ask somebody, oh, I don't know. Well, why did you, you know, why did you buy that car? Um, well, you know, um, they had a really good deal and it was marketed well and everybody else seems to buy it. So if it's a good deal and it's marketed well and everybody else seems to buy it, myself, the actor, the person who's bought the car, um, I'm attributing my, my decision to outside forces. I'm attributing it to the situation now. And that that's the general human tendency, um, you know, we had some um, some work being done on on uh, our, our power supply here in the town I live in, Jacksonville Beach, Florida. And you know, you have this picture. There's there's folks that are that are doing the utility work. There's one. There's four people holding shovels, but only one of them has a sh- has a shovel that's that's working. One is shoveling. The other three are leaning on the shovel. Of course, the type there is, you know, oh, just look at them. You know, just look at them. Well. You know, if, if you ask them, you know, why do you have four people with shovels and only one's working? Th- the answer they'll give you is, "Well, we're in Jacksonville. It's 90 degrees. Um, we've been here since six o'clock this morning. We spell each other." You know, the situation's very powerful, um, and so that that fundamental attribution is is normal, except except when it's to our advantage for it not to be normal. So so if I'm walking my dog and I'm watching, you know, this. Four people with only one shovel, and I go, "Oh, look at them! Three of them are lazy." So when it's when it's a negative attribution, I'll attribute to them as a person. I'll I'll make the explanation be their laziness. Three of them are lazy. The only one's working that's normal. Government employees, you know. I mean, it's a utility after all. Um, now, the self-serving nature of this gets flipped when something good happens. You know, it's it's the um, it's the old quintessential basking in reflected glory, a guy named Bob Cialdini, um, another social psychologist, and uh, he did this, this marvelous little study when he was at Arizona State. He counted the number of kids in his undergraduate uh, psychology course that, that wore an Arizona State T-shirt after a football game that they won on Saturday. Now, ladies, what would you predict? If they won the game on Saturday, would the number- Lots of T-shirts. You got it. Yeah, and so the phenomenon's called burging, basking in reflected glory. And um, and it it really makes sense when when you see people attribute, hey, um, you, you know, the team did really well. You know, it's my great coaching. I was a great coach. I had everybody in position. But if they lose, it's somebody else's fault. So, you know, these fundamental attributions, these self-serving biases are, are absolutely powerful. The other one is, you know, the back to the car thing. So I bought a car and let's say I, I bought a Chevy Suburban and um, you know, I'm, I really feel good about it. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm reading on the internet and I'm, I'm reading reviews about cars. and I read this review that says, you know, from Consumer Reports, you know, the car, that's really a good car. That, you know, that Suburban is really good. So so you get that article and you show your friends, you know, that Suburban I bought is a really good car. I mean, here it is. And then somebody says to you, um, you know, Donnie, but I heard this, I heard that. Well, instead of listening with both ears, what the what the negative might be, we dismiss it. We dismiss it. So, you know, we want we our biases operate so that we confirm our decisions. We can confirm- everything else goes is put away. Absolutely. And so we augment we augment the great decision to buy the car with more information that reinforces it. And we discount any information that that flies in the face of that decision by discounting it and saying, oh, it's not a good source. You know, Mary Scott, back to your political thing. Um, In another life, I worked for Bill Clinton. And um, I mean, Bill has his his, um, folks that are very, very supportive of of he and his policies and so forth and those that don't. They can't imagine how a military guy ever worked for Bill Clinton and liked him. I loved him. I absolutely loved him. But it's a, it's a non sequitur for most folks who are, quote, biased against Bill Clinton. So they've got a it, it sort of stimulates this cognitive dissonance in people. You know, I like Horner. I mean, I is, like you, but I don't like that guy. Yeah. And so they got <laughs> to try to think, well, you know, maybe Donnie's just being nice. Or rarely do we say, you know, I like Donnie and he likes Clinton. Maybe I should investigate why I don't like Clinton. You see what I mean? So, <laughs> you know, confirmation biases, There's there's this notion of augmenting and discounting. There's the fundamental power of the situation. And then, you know, um, do, do you ladies have kids?
0: Five over here.
1: Yep. Three here. Okay. Kids. I do, kids not. do not have kids, you know, so let's just play along then, Elizabeth. I, this won't be hard. There's, there's people we like and that our kids like, and there's people that are, our kids don't like, or let's put it in this, in this realm, teachers have favorites. All right. That's, I'm sorry. It's, it's just true. I mean, that's because we as humans have favorites. We have things we like and things we don't. Well, then if, a, if a kid who we like, who's one of our favorites does something well, we immediately put a halo on the top of their head. Wow. They, you know, she, you know, Elizabeth, she does such good work And, and my gosh, she's just such a courteous. And she's so bright. Look at this great work. And so we put that halo so firmly on Elizabeth's head. um, When something goes badly, I mean, Elizabeth couldn't be responsible for, you know, she just had a bad day. Um, So we find ourselves making excuses for the people with the halos. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you got the kids. I'll use my, my middle grandson. His name is Tino. And, and Tino is, I mean, he's a handful, you know, he's an eight-year-old, he's full of himself, he, um, he's playful, he, he likes to have fun, and his mouth goes. Well, you know, he and his dad kind of, you know, get into it from time to time. And, and so my, my son-in-law, Doug, will discipline Tino. Hey, you know, watch your mouth, you know, do your chores, watch your mouth, you know, great little hockey player, don't take penalties, this or that. So every once in a while, you know, I'll remind Doug, Tino's got horns. You know what I mean? You're, he's got those horns. He's a little. You're a little biased towards him, and and when something good happens, um, the notion is the kid with horns. You know, that's that's an aberration. That's not who he really is. I mean, that's, that's Tino. I mean, he's got a big mouth. You know, he's he must have just had that. You must have got in that one good day when he wasn't talking back. So. The the horn effect, the halo effect is is all real, very real. All of this, by the way, affects how you evaluate people. It's just what we do. And then the last one, the the fun one, propinquity, it's just about how close we are. Um, You know, we tend to evaluate people and make judgments about people a little differently based on how close they are to us, both good and bad. Uh, so if somebody's you know, if you're working with a colleague here i am in jacksonville beach florida you're in huntsville um if i don't have much contact with you um i'll fill in the blanks with with of the uncertainty maybe with not positive things um if you're closer to me you know if you're more propinquitous um then i don't have to fill in the blanks with of uncertainty with things that are made up i can actually, based them on my interactions is this
2: why people in sales are more propinqu- propinquitous yeah you gotta eat, you gotta eat
1: lunch with them right you gotta yes. you got to go out for the business lunch you got to build a relationship you got to learn what's uh what their likes and dislikes are I mean all of us we've sort of grown to embrace the, the the virtual connections but even that's not the same it's it's you know we you can only see so much of somebody and how often does does somebody get on a um, a zoom call with you and they don't turn on their video, which, you know, makes it a lot more difficult to, to connect. So let me, here's what
2: I'm hearing. And I want to see if I, if I'm getting this right, we have these biases. It's just the human condition. It's, there's no really getting away because we've all lived in the world and we've all been affected by things. We've all seen things. We've experienced things. And we're, we're wired. But, but you, you have to unwire and you have to not be lazy. And I, I, I think what it sounds like what you're doing by bringing data to the mix, by bringing, okay, there's these terms that describe these phenomenons and helping leaders to learn those and confronting the, or not confronting, that's the wrong word, but putting in front of them data that says, okay, this is the data. This is, these are, these are the people you chose for advancement. You know, these are their their race, creed, their color, their origin, their whatever. You know,
1: that gets them thinking. You nailed it. So let's put it this way. We can't contemplate everything. We can't reflect on everything. I mean, we have lives to live. You've got to get up. You've got to either go to school, go to work, fill in the blank, do whatever we do. And um, the world's very fast. And because the world is so fast, it's a soundbite world. It's a sound bite world, it's a visual bite world. And um, so we take these bits and we've become very, very uh, accomplished at, at uh, compartmentalizing the bits of data and deciding whether it's good, bad, indifferent, whether I care, whether I don't care. And that oversimplification is where we get into real problems because that oversimplification is based on erroneous data poorly accessed and erroneous data poorly accessed leads to really bad outcomes, uh, for serious, for serious situations. I'll I'll give you an example. Um, here in Jacksonville, we've got the Jaguars and we've done some work. I I've, I've had the great fun of, um, of working with rookies, you know, in, in rookie camps and, um, you know, they've, uh, they they draft these young men and and bring them in. Uh, they try them out. They make the um, the fifty three man roster, and then depending on the size of the of the practice squad, you might have seven or nine or eleven, but not many folks. You know, so so a squad out of out of about sixty folks, you might have eight rookies, nine rookies, and you know maybe ten. It's a young person's game increasingly, but so it's a small group and. Um, and so these rookies who are generally speaking not a not accustomed to having a lot of money are suddenly flush up in it. <laughs> They've got <laughs> they got the cash, they're driving the, the Tesla. Cash, they got the place. You can fill in your, you know, fill it in, right? And so and they get in all kinds of trouble. I mean, they're always in trouble. Uh, the trouble is, is as simple as they don't show up to meetings on time or when they show up in the meetings on time, they're not, they're not in the proper uniform. With NFL rookies, um, whole new world. They're glad they're there. They've got all the accoutrements. They have no judgment. They've got no judgment. And to make it worse, what has made them successful on the football field makes them failures off of it. So give me an example. So let's say, oh, I'll use a wide receiver example. I won't use the fellow's name out of, out of respect, but um, first round draft choice, millions of dollars, signs, and um, he, the, the kid can catch a ball. He can catch a ball and he can run. And, um, I mean, he's great success, all American. Um, what makes him successful is he's confronted with a stimulus, He's so gifted athletically and has trained so much, doesn't even think about it. Stimulus, response. Ball's coming my way, catch the ball. Defenders going that way, run away. Instantaneous, quick decisions, nanoseconds. Stimulus, response. When do they reflect? And normally in the old days, you would reflect on during film study uh, on Monday or Tuesday. Today, today uh, reflection is now if you look at NFL sidelines if you look at, at look at college sports even um, they all have tablets mm. they got a notebook they got a tablet on the sideline and the position coach is right beside the wide receiver and they're going through plays that just happened mm. and stimulus response reflect in that order uh, that'll make you really successful in the football field So they take that mentality off the field. Um, Stimulus, I'm at a bar. Somebody confronts me, starts mouthing off. Response, I punch them in the mouth. Reflection, after I've been stuffed and cuffed and uh, my lawyer just got me out of prison. So what made that receiver very successful on the field, stimulus, response, reflect, uh, if you could just, change the order stimulus reflect response uh what we and that's what we teach rookies is look you're going to go to a bar you're going to go to a nightclub you will be people will know you in, in this town the town's not that big when you're confronted with the idiot who's talking trash to you engage your brain reflect and then respond and the engage your brain reflect, and then respond, um, will in fact lead to better outcomes. It's the same way in life for us. Um, if we can just somehow, uh, take a moment and pause, hit pause, call a timeout, reflect on what's happening and, and then make a decision.
2: So let me ask you this because some of our listeners may be thinking this, Um, can't like stop and think on every little thing so you're not asking us to stop and think about every little action i mean when it's time to wash the dishes or you know you're asking us at these critical like like i can understand why you're doing your work in evaluations because performance evaluations are really important really important not everything is that important you know we're beautifully and wonderfully made to put that in a box and that's where it goes and i mean i'm sure there's some evolutionary positives about that. But what I hear you telling me is that there's really important decision points in all our lives that affect us, affect others, where you do have to put the reflection before the activity.
1: Yeah, I, I think you've nailed it, Mary Scott. Um, and to your point, you know, in an evolutionary way, the, sort of the sociobiology of this, we've evolved this way because in a split second, we had to decide whether whether to fight or flee, you know? fight or flight response. And, um, so we've been rewarded over time evo- in an evolutionary way. We've been rewarded about making uh, very quick and accurate decisions. And so we tend, you know, that, that produces a sort of a momentum of our own and it imprints us, you know, as humans, if, if we've, um, not that any of us would do this, if you've run a yellow light, If you've run a yellow light in your car and you've been able to get through it unscathed without a ticket or a police officer or an accident, well, you tend to continue to run yellow lights. And so you'll continue to do that until something changes it. And so, no, I'm not asking you to, you know, you you come up to a traffic signal and you slam on the brakes and say, geez, I really wish I should. I I need to reflect on whether or not I should run that yellow light. We don't have time for that. Not in our day-to-day activities. There are some things, though, where we have to take time. I mean, we really have to take time. And, um, you know, the... You know, the...
2: Taking a moment in a bar not to get in a fight and saving your career might be a really important juncture.
1: And... Yeah, and, you know, and, and there's ways, there's other things we can do um, that'll help us with that. You can surround yourself with a wingman, you know, somebody who's a good person. Um, hey, look, I, I need... I need you to keep an eye on me. I I need you to you know get me out of there, um, you know. And and we this is where education you know big proponent of training and education. If you can work through scenarios with with people, and um, particularly in the significant events, whether it's uh, whether it's a relationship, or whether in and whether it involves some sort of a uh, a financial decision. Uh, there are some decisions that have such monumental outcomes you just re- you really want to be aware of your thinking and take a moment to be self-aware and and that's really our elixir our elixir is self-awareness if we can just become more self-aware you know you know i'm from the northeast i'm a northeast guy i like to go i like to go i like to go my, one of my biases is is, is action over inaction I, I, I know this is one of my biases, much better to crash at hundred miles an hour than to rust out a creeping along. Okay. I know that's, I know that's probably not a good thing, but now, you know, now that I'm older, um, I know you got to slow things down and, uh, you got to take the time. I mean, if I have, I've got two kids, 35 and 37, if my kid is calling me uh, no matter what time, day or night, I'm stopping what I'm doing to listen to my kid. I got one in New York City, and I got one in another place. And uh, I, there's no way I'm not taking that call. So, you know, there's there's ways that we can short circuit this um, these over efficiencies that are promulgated by um, evolution.
0: Donnie, I think sometimes there's effects that that aren't momentous. So, I want to ask you about one, one in particular. It's kind of funny, but yet not. I mean as you know and as we three have discussed on this show before, you know there are well documented communication effects that can get really tricky to navigate. For example, research shows if a man speaks up often in a meeting, maybe even dominating, maybe speaking out of turn, he will be tend to be viewed as more competent. As we know, if a woman does the same thing, She tends to be viewed as less competent and even in some cases, less intelligent. So, you know, as you've already said, this can be kind of going on very unconsciously with great people who have no intention of thinking of that person in any sort of negative way. It's going on low level. So what do you recommend? I mean, if the goal is to actually be effective, but you know about this effect, should you say, well, they shouldn't feel that way, so I'm going to continue to be the way that I want to be and speak up as loudly and as often as I want? Or do you integrate that knowledge and you know, modulate your communication style and accept that it is what it is? And Donnie, before you answer that, let me be very quick to say, you know, I chose this example because we three are women, but, you know, men face biases, too, from women, from other men. And and I do think there are plenty of positive biases that women actually benefit from. I feel blessed and grateful for the environment that I happen to work in. But I think these effects do go on for a lot of women,
1: yeah, I mean, it's um, not that it's any less challenging for women in the workforce today, but if, if you could rewind, hit rewind and go back 50 years, think about the level of difficulty then, um, you know, and certainly progress is made, but it's still very difficult. So, the, the, you know, it's sort of a prisoner's dilemma. You, you, you know this information and uh, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, same behaviors, let's focus on the behaviors. Same behaviors uh, enacted by a, uh, a male looked positively and seen as a, uh, a measure of decisiveness and, and perhaps leadership. Uh, same behaviors looked at for a woman seen as uh, out of place, uh, rude, uh, overly talkative, too loquacious. Call it whatever, whatever the heck you want. Um, you know, I, I had an experience, uh, hard to imagine that I wasn't a good leader all the time, but I mean, just, you know, just entertain the, the, this notion. I had an experience, um, I, I had a gal working for me, um, great, just a great person all the way around, came to see me a couple of days after an event. She said, hey, Donnie, I just want, I need to point something out to you. You got a minute? Yeah, sure. She laid it out. She said, you know, I was the only woman in the room and I was the only one that didn't talk. And I would argue that I was the one who knew most about the topic. Why don't you give me a chance? And I said, Did I do that? And she said, Oh yeah. Yeah, you did And I said, Holy cow. I said, I can't believe that. And I wasn't, this was not hostile. That's I'm not. And I, I was just I was completely incredulous. And um, and I said, let's, you know, bring in so bring him in right now. Let's, you know, I really. And so we laid it out, and holy, I was dumbfounded. Mm. The power of that was—I uh, mean, it was—it was to me a cataclysmic. It, you know, it was sort of that significant emotional event. Uh, uh, event um, that the the other important ingredient, of in course, of all this, is emotion and affect. You know, the emotional. So this, I mean, if it's a significant emotional event, you remember it. It imprints you, and so therefore you can recall it faster and it affects your behavior. Well, I can tell you this from that point forward, it, it affected the way I, I ran a meeting and ran a room. And um, so I think on the one hand, you have to speak up, but boy, you better measure the audience because if you speak up, um, I, I like to, I'd like to think I'm transparent and open and very receptive, but I know that I'm flawed and I'm not fully so in the absence of that, you better have a mentor who can help you go through this, and that mentor can give you some advice as to, all right, what's the what's the best way to short-circuit this? Do we, do we bring it up to Horner and let him know of his flaws? In some cases, that'll work. In other cases, that won't work. In other cases, that's just bad strategy. Um, the The other piece of it is with a mentor, sometimes the mentor can go be your advocate and maybe not even use your name and say, hey, look, let me just say, hey, Donna, you may not know this, but uh, I'm a big fan of yours, but you know this is what you do. Um, and so mentors can help. The other part of it is, again, I'm, I'm gonna beat the training and education drum, you know, every organization, whether it's government or military or private sector or whatnot, you have real opportunities for lunch and learns and for, um, all, you know, under the auspices of, of hey, let's, let's keep current and learn things. And um, and make ourselves better. You, you can have you can have, you know, guests into events and uh, to talk on some topic. It might be this. Um, I think happily today there's been um, there's been so much activity scientifically with these phenomenon that they're actually percolating into society and into the workplace. But I mean, I think you've described it really well.
0: Well, Donnie, I think we can end on that note and just to our listeners, Donnie, the whole team at Higher Echelon, they're all open to coming into the organization, talking about these topics. We barely even scratched the surface. There's so much fascinating information about this and more. Higher Echelon is a leadership development and organizational performance consulting firm providing human capital and technology services to optimize performance through trusted partnerships. They work with some of the biggest names in business and the public sector. So check out Higher Echelon on LinkedIn and at higherechelon.com. Donnie, where can folks find you?
1: Oh sure, I'm at um, on on Twitter. I'm at Doc H, D-O-C-D-O-N-N-I-E-H. That's at D O C D O N N I E H, and um, I'm pretty active. The other one is my email address is, is uh, Doctor Donning. Uh, Doctor D O N N I E Horner H O R N E R at Higher Echelon com. And my, uh, my private email address is D-H-O-R-N-E-R, the number three at J-U dot used to work at that institution. I'm, a, I'm an emeritus, so they, they give the old guy on his way out his, his own email address. And so they've let me keep it. So D-H-O-R-N-E-R number three at J-U dot E-D-U. And, uh, and as Rachel said, we'd love to come in. We'd love to come in and, and talk to your companies about, um, about any and all of these topics.
0: Love it. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for listening today, everybody. I want to close by asking you to consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so honored and grateful that you spend this time learning with us, and we would love to hear what you like about the show so we can continue to spread this content to others. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.